podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to what I'm going to call the Withdrawal Symptoms podcast, the cricket withdrawal symptoms, because winter's here, but you're still in shorts, which I'm very pleased to see actually. And still there's lots of of, of crickety things going on. I was actually up in the north uh, this week uh, doing cricket dinners because it's a sort of awards period of the year and and meeting people who still want to try and play, even though it's October. And there's lots of... Really? Still wanting to play? Yeah, they were were desperate to get out. There was a bit damp, but they were desperate to get out and just actually have a bowl at me, I think. (laughs) Some people from Grimsby. uh, Just relieved they didn't have the chance, actually, because I would have been knocked over first ball. And just the uh, the cricketers out as well. The new uh, issue with the review of the of the great summer. So just keeping those memories uh, still tickling our uh, our fancy for another few weeks. But some live uh, issues to talk about as well, including of course Chris Silverwood announced as England coach and India going really strongly at the start of the World Test Championship. Played for one four. They've already got. 200 points in the World Test Championship. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And we'll also talk about Virat Kohli's suggestion for how the points uh, system could be restructured after the the first iteration of the the World Test Championship. So the shorts, how long are you going to stay in the shorts, do you reckon? Because you're going to New Zealand shortly. So are you going to actually keep the shorts on until you go and then you can just wear them on the plane and straight when you get off. That's my theory. What, what it is, psychologically, I, ca- I just cannot accept that summer has come to an end. So if you keep wearing shorts, if you keep the heating off, which obviously is a bit of a battle with my wife, you keep the heating off, then you can almost sort of just convince yourself that it, it's still just about summer. The clocks haven't gone back yet or forward or whatever it is they do in a couple of weeks time I always get confused so that hasn't happened yet so still a bit of light in the sky around about six o'clock in the evening and despite all the rain it's still reasonably mild so yeah you've got to you've got to fight against the winter you've got to fight against the end of the cricket season and actually you know I'm extremely fortunate to be going to New Zealand in a couple of weeks time and and it all starts again doesn't it you know 2020 series test match series and and on we go through the winter we've got eight test matches this winter I think you uh, you keep the the summer sort of spirit going by constantly mowing the lawn actually which I know you you haven't got much of a lawn neither have I but my parents have so my mum has so I still try and mow the lawn once a week even in October and that just keeps the sort of summer spirit and it keeps that lovely smell going as well even though it's a bit damp the grass and you know the mower chews up a few bits of it but but still it makes me think it is still summer well, of course, the other thing as well is that counties um, practice outdoors quite a lot in the winter these days. I was talking to Alex Stewart and I was saying to him, you know, about the, the tent that you put up, you know, at the Oval yeah. so players can practice on, on the outfit. I think, he, I think he said that goes up in February. It does. Yeah, I've seen it. And, and it does at places like Merchant Taylors as well for where, where Middlesex practice. So that actually by the, the end of the, the winter season, by the end of March, those pitches are like deserts. It's like playing in Dubai by, by the end of March. And then sort of you've got to go outside and you're playing on green seamers again. Yeah. OK, so uh, looking ahead, uh, and as we often do in, in cricket, England are go- going to New Zealand. And we thought that Chris Silverwood was going to lead England to New Zealand. But as a sort of interim coach, that was the feeling, you know, say a month or so ago. But he is going to lead England to New Zealand as England's new head coach. What, what, what do you make of that appointment? And was he the third choice? I think he probably was. 
because it was rumoured uh, and strongly rumoured that Alex Stewart was very keen and they were keen on him. Obviously, we've seen the stories about Gary Kirsten being nominated and uh, brought over for an interview and having a great track record, especially in Test cricket, uh, although actually he hasn't coached in Red Bull cricket for a while. Uh, Silverwood, as you say there, was a sort of interim appointment or imagined to be an interim appointment and suddenly he's got the job. But actually... I think in a roundabout way, they've got a good person because, firstly, continuity, which I think is, is valuable, that he's, he was in the coaching fraternity, the England coaching fraternity before, obviously, during the summer. And so, you know, he knows all the players really well. But I think also, from a continuity point of view, in terms of county cricket, knowing the game really well, knowing the players, a real contrast to Trevor Bayliss. When Bayliss came in, he admitted he didn't watch county cricket, didn't know much about it. Silverwood is not only knowledgeable about county cricket, but hugely respected. And he knows a lot of the other coaches, or all the other coaches, and all the other directors of cricket around the counties. They respect him. There's a, a very good sort of communication system going on between all the directors of cricket and coaches around the country to Silverwood as a sort of hotline. Uh, you know, I think he's an ideal person to be able to sort of centre all those those ideas and, and, and bits of suggestions and observations and pull them all together. And, of course, he is also a very successful coach in his own right mm. because he was the guy who rejuvenated Essex. And if you talk to the likes of Jamie Porter or some of the other batsmen at, at Essex, they absolutely adore him. Yeah, talking about you know, third choice, perhaps that is not quite the right term. It might be that they, the ECB sort of got to a, a roundabout and there were three different ways to go and they all had their... So attract, Merits, yeah, yeah, they all had their attractive elements to them and they all perhaps had, you know, a bit of things that were not quite the right way to go or we don't necessarily want to go down that street or we, you know, do we want to go down that street? But perhaps that's the best analogy because I think, I think the point about Chris Silwood being appointed is, is not, oh, you know, England come up with their third choice, you know, sort of eyes raised. It's you know, three three interesting candidates all offering different things. Um, hmm. I, I suppose... You'd have to listen to the private conversations of you know Ashley Giles and and Tom Harrison to know to absolutely know where they were re- where they absolutely really wanted to go, uh, or or perhaps it was all on that you know, interview process. And the only thing about interview processes is that. I mean, I've, I've sort of seen interview processes working. You tell the, people what to say, don't you? You well, do a bit of media no, training. No, 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 no. no. But, but I'm thinking of interview processes in the past. I've seen. I, I remember working at radio stations a long, long time ago, and the, and the, and I remember the, the woman who's in charge of the HR. She said, "You know what we do? We put out an advert. We get 500 applications. We get it down to the last, you know, 10 people. We choose someone, and we got it wrong." You know, it's such a difficult... Pro- I mean, you could argue that, you know, there are all sorts of psychological tests they do now and all that, all that sort of thing, don't they? It's, it's Perhaps it's a bit more scientific now than talking about 30 years ago. But it's, it's an insight into, I think, some, how fickle or how deceiving sometimes an interview process can be. Because actually, being the England cricket coach is not about necessarily 
being doing well in an interview, is it? it? It's about you know forming relationships with people and setting out plans. And but clearly, what Chris Silverwood did was he set out a, you know a very clear and convincing plan in his interview. He must have interviewed really well. Well, he clearly had the the ideas about what England need to do to improve. He had very very concrete in, intentions to try and address those, uh, which obviously is important. Whereas you felt Kirsten sort of arrived with almost an assumption that he was going to get the job on his track record. So therefore, uh, almost said, well, I- I'm going to see what the situation is and address it when I see what it is. Yeah, and that seems to be what he did when he went for the India job because uh, Sonny Gavaskar put him forward and he went over to uh, Mumbai for the interview and you know, there was no presentation. He said, right, you've, you know, you've asked me here, you, you clearly think I'm up to it, ask me questions and it may, may well be that that you know something similar happened uh, you know and, and they were expecting some sort of presentation possibly and that and that didn't happen but i you know i come back to the point that, you know does that mean you shouldn't give someone the job but if if someone impresses really impresses as silverwood clearly mm. did in in the interview situation and you also think he's you know perfectly capable of doing the job then he gets it. It's, it's, it's worth just listening to Ashley Giles as well, you know, about who's the director of England cricket, about you know why uh, Silverwood uh, got the job, why he was the appropriate choice. Chris's main role he has to focus on what's going on at the top. Yeah, that, that getting us to that place where we're the most respected team in the world, we're successful, we win in Australia. But in in all the other departments, I'm very keen that we're much more joined up with what we do at Loughborough our development systems, because to, to compete across three formats um, over a period, we're going to need a bigger pool of players. So there's development systems report, and I know through his experiences and his relationships, he'll be very close to that and have an eye on that. And at the same time, that then needs to be joined up with the county system. So it's all, there should be a flow there that we're working hand in hand. But at times, I think we've worked as a bit of an island. And... Um, not always, not lame blame. Anyway, an overseas coach doesn't always help that because they don't have the same knowledge or experiences of our system. Ashley Giles, there, you know, and actually throughout, actually, right, right at the start, back in the West Indies, when he was, you know, talking about the the New England coach, saying, you know, he would prefer an English coach, which Silverwood clearly is. Um, well, you can understand that uh, because it, you know he's actually so sort of through and through. English, isn't he, in so many ways. Uh, and, I, I, you know, we've had these overseas coaches for a, a, a fair sequence now, and there's been a lot of rumblings about no home coach, no British-English coach in the 100 tournament. Mm. This is, was a great opportunity to, to really recognise and, and reward an excellent English coach for not only the work he's done recently with England, but also with counties as well, with Essex as well. But ultimately, it's about getting the best person for the job, though, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, of course. But wh- why is the best job always going to be a person from overseas? Why can't it be someone from our fraternity who's absolutely steeped in the county game, which Chris Silverwood is? And that seems to have been a really important factor, actually, that he, he, he you know, he'd, he'd been behind the scenes for t- two years. He'd seen the England set up. He knows the county set up inside out. And you know, actually there saying about that is really important. that We just needed that source, that, that, that real sort of link up with, yeah. with the counties, that, yeah. that continuity, yeah. Well, yeah, continuity to, to some extent, but also that link up with the counties that we, that we that someone who really understands what's going on in, in county cricket and knows the knows people in county cricket. 
The other thing I, I found quite interesting was that, of course, he's the first ex-fast bowler who's a head coach of England as well. And uh, there haven't been many. Uh, Otis Gibson obviously was the bowling coach of, of England. He was then head coach of South Africa as a, a fast bowler. But there haven't been many fast bowlers who've been head coaches of countries. And there always are these questions that, that well, can you do the job if you were an ex-fast bowler? Because I suppose it's, it's an inevitable question because a lot of coaching seems to be about batting. But my argument is always that bowlers firstly have to get batsmen out. So you do analyse batsmen in a very careful way. And also bowlers do have to bat as well. And, and that was the premise of my book, actually, Who Wants to Be a Batsman? You know, people said, well, how can you write a book about batting when you average 11? But actually, apart from the fact that I was quite happy with an average of 11, given the, the, some of the bowls I had to face over a 10-year period, at the same time also, I had to bat and apply lack of skills to the same issues that a good batsman would have to apply them to. And you, as a bowler, you're unpicking a batsman's technique. So I think bowlers have a very valuable and valid uh, a way of anal of analysing batsmen. I have to say, when I saw you'd written that book, I did question, oh, why is Yozza writing a book about batting and not bowling? But actually, if you read the book, there is uh, unimpeachable logic to it. And that's, that's, wow, that's, that's, that's praise. high praise. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's high praise. Yeah. Will you be my agent? Um, I, I have had some nice r r feedback, actually, from people reading that book who said, well, this, this made a big difference. And I, yeah. I got 20 in the next innings I played and then a couple of noughts afterwards, so they put it away. So, I mean, one idea is, you know, if, if you're a really top-class batsman, sometimes it's hard to appreciate what it's like for someone who struggles yeah. as a batsman. Yeah. And if, but if you're someone who's you know, good enough to score runs in counter cricket, some runs in counter cricket. But which not... Silverwood did, actually. Yeah. I mean, he was a decent batsman. He was a bit of a, a bit of a hitter, but he had a bit of technique. And all bowlers have to bat. Mm. So you have to try and figure it out for yourself. And sometimes that can make a, a more interesting story than someone who can just do it naturally. Yeah, what about his sort of main task, his, his initial task then as England coach? Well... Just listening to him, it it seems to me that he feels it's about building that really sort of strong core relationship with England captain Joe Root. I had a good long conversation with Joe uh, yesterday, I think it was, that I wanted to make sure that from the get-go, Joe and I are aligned with how we're going to go about taking the test team forward. So what I'm talking to you about now is Joe's thoughts as well. So the two of us are aligned. We have an idea of how we want to take things forward. Uh, you know, it's not going to be a secret. I'm quite happy to talk to you guys anytime you want. Uh, but as we've quite rightly said, you know, I mean, it could be a dominant sibling coming at the top of the order. We've got to give him a chance. You know, we've got to make sure that actually this guy is coming. He's going to be feeling the pressure anyway. So let's strip that away from him and give him a chance. And hopefully, what we'll find is that the runs that he's been scoring, he brings in the test cricket with him. And then all of a sudden, that process starts. So, you know, I mean, yep, yeah, we want to bat for long periods of time. And then we want to create a bowling attack that's absolutely relentless. I mean, we saw some examples of that this summer. Uh, and, you know what, the Aussies made our lives really difficult. Whenever you're working inside something, you get to see little glimpses of what you may be able to change. Uh, and the relationship that we've created with the two captains, with the players, and as I said, with the backroom staff, will enable us to do that, hopefully seamlessly. Uh, and when you're saying things, they know you're saying it for the right reason. You're saying it because you care, and that you want the best for them. And that's ultimately what I do. You know, I mean, people are the centre of my coaching philosophy, and seeing them do well, you know, I mean, with their dreams and what they're trying to do, 
makes me smile. So that's why I do it, you know what I mean? It's I want to create self-thinking, self-sufficient cricketers that go out there and be successful. And if we can do that, you know what, it'll make me smile. I mean, this is a big aspect of, of coaching now, isn't it? And it was a, Trevor Bayliss had it as well. It was about getting players to, to think about their own game, actually, and almost to be... Self-coaching. Self-coaching, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you see them now, don't you, when they go off the field, they've got out, they go straight to their laptop and they look at their own game. Uh, it's fantastic now, the analysis you can do on your own game, you know, which wasn't really available. or uh, You were able, weren't able to do it 20 years ago, but now you can look at the video clipped together very tightly on individual shots and dismissals and so on. Obviously, you can look at Hawkeye data as well. And there are so many little tools that you can really analyse your own game with do you think some players do need to be told though some some players find it harder to self-analyze than others well someone like Ian Bell was always someone who needed a lot of planning and a lot of careful assessment and a lot of uh, sort of validation as well you know you're, you're hitting the ball beautifully belly sort of thing uh, other players I think can be more self-contained someone like Joe Root you see Joe Root every every day when he's practicing you know in the nets just tinkering with his footwork slightly, the width of his feet or where the bat is resting or how he's taking the bat back. I'm, no, I'm not remotely surprised that a lot of batsmen take up golf in the end because it's just a perfect extension. It's all these little tiny issues that come together to make that bat swing or club swing. Some of them are very anal about it. I suppose the other thing as well is that, you know, okay, self-coach, you know, analyse your own game, but there are, there are bound to be times when you need that help as well. And that's where England's or coaching... reassurance as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, certainly you, you need that help, you need that observation from the outside sometimes you, you, to tell you you're thinking about it too much. One thing that came out of the press conference the other day and the, the press briefing the other day was this idea from Chris Silverwood uh, that England want to be respected, um, that part of that is about you know winning and you know being a strong side and you know people the fear aspect of respect but there's also a very strong idea about being respected for how you play the game did you sense that there's a sort of sea change in the way England are going to play I mean they don't seem particularly sort of mouthy ultra aggressive on the field is that what we're talking about it's almost like being like New Zealand is that why is that because Jimmy Anderson's not in the side anymore partly uh, yeah they talk about role they talk about role models for everyone didn't they being on the field role models for everyone yeah I, I think it has come from New Zealand I think that people have been very impressed with not just the way that the New Zealanders behaved in that World Cup final but also the amount of credit they got for it afterwards, the amount of times the word magnanimity was mentioned. And, and actually, of course, Stokes as well in that final, you know, when he got that, that, that weird uh, ricochet off his bat, off his bat, he did, he'd, he held his hands up in apology immediately. And the, the, it, it's all a result of the Australians descending into that, you know, nadir with the, the, the sandpaper gate and the, 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 the vitriol poured on them from everywhere after that. And I think, you know, not only the Australians, but all countries have realised they've got to behave a bit better. And this whole thing, the spirit of cricket, a lot of people say it's, say it's a bit of a spurious term, but actually it seems to be almost coming back a little bit now. And also with stump microphones, you know, ramped up and cameras zooming in on players, 
there's there's no in a way you you're going to get done very easily by saying something out of turn. So you might as well respect each other. Plus all the T Twenty leagues around the world, which players from opposite countries are playing in as teammates together. So it, it's made a much more harmonious environment. Yeah. As long as Matthew Wade isn't at short leg. Uh, Correct, yeah. You know, actually, what was notable, actually, about the Ashes series is when Wade was getting involved and, and, and chatting to Joffre Archer and Archer got involved, it sort of continued, didn't it, from Old Trafford uh, to the Oval. What was noticeable about that from a distance? Anyway, you don't always know what's going on, you know, the nitty-gritty on the field. You don't always hear and see everything that's going on. What was noticeable about it was actually... It, it seemed quite rare. It, it, it stood out because it was in contrast to mm. everything else that had gone on during the series. Yeah, and I'm sure that's going to carry on under Silverwood. Chris Silverwood is, is, is a very, you know, smiling, decent guy. He was a fast bowler and he was actually pretty quick. But he was one of those guys that he didn't really sledge much. He was just a very pleasant sort of character, except when he had a ball in his hand. And I, I he's quite old school. I think in that way, quite traditional, and, and it's good to see. And I, I think Trevor Bayes was pretty strong on all that, and Silverwood will be too. One other thing that came out of that press conference as well is this talk about England focusing on Test match cricket in the future. Although Ashley Giles was, was was keen to step in at one point and say this does not mean that we're going to ignore our, our white ball cricket. Okay, we've just won the World Cup, but it, we, you know it's not. Test cricket is the be-all, end-all now. They, they, yeah, he talked about getting the balance, actually, between red ball and white ball. And, of course, England do have a, a, a World T20 in Australia. This time next year, England will be in Australia playing, a, playing the World T20. And it also begins in earnest, actually, because we will notice in the next few months that England are playing more T20s. They play five, for example, in New Zealand. The first one is on the 1st of November in, in Christchurch. So, yeah, there will be a focus on on Test Match Cricket because, you know, England have slipped down, haven't they? And we'll talk about the Test Championship in just a moment. England, you know, they want to be in that final because the final presumably will... I think the final's scheduled to be at Lords in the summer of... Still, still under discussion, that, actually. Is it? Yeah. But, uh, you know, the funny thing is, and this is, hasn't been lost on a lot of uh, observers, that the World Cup winners are going to be barely playing any 50-over cricket... Yeah. Uh, there are some games against Australia in midsummer next year in June. One of them's at uh, Lords, almost the annual anniversary, the the one year anniversary from the World Cup final. But there's very little fifty over cricket for England to play, and of course the fifty over tournament in county cricket has been sort of relegated slightly to being played alongside the hundred in August. So a lot of the big names won't be involved. People are saying, well, how are you going to defend? The, the 50 over World Cup when you're not really putting that much emphasis on it in the domestic game, which is a fair fair criticism. Yeah, I, well, I suspect, because you've got to remember, is the next World Cup is not until 2023. What will happen is that it'll be downgraded for a couple of years and then when it, that World Cup is in sight, it'll probably be upgraded a bit and the, you know, the focus will switch back on to England trying to defend the World Cup in, of course, India, which will be an extremely difficult task and we'll talk about India in just a moment. So the World Test Championship has started. India played four, won four. They've got 200 points already (laughs) and then there's still one test match to go against South Africa. They've got 60 for winning a test match in West Indies and 60 for winning the second match in the series 
And for a three-match series, you divide the 120 points over the course of three test matches. So they won two, so they've got two lots of 40 points. That's how they got 200. 60 plus 60 equals 120. 40 plus 40, and probably 40 more, the way they're going against South Africa, equals 120. Two-match series, you get 60 points winning. For a five-test series, you're supposed to get 24 points for a win because 120 divided by five is 24. But it's 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 quite hard, isn't it, figuring it all out this this World Test Championship because because you're getting different numbers of points for wins in different lengths of series. It gives at the moment India this really disproportionate lead at the top, and then the others are all kind of coming about fourth really because they're so far behind. Basically, if you do well in a short series, it really is going to propel you up the table. But you know, things would as as the Test Championship develops. I see people have all been very critical about this already. You know, it's a mishmash and the point system is, is nonsense. Um, and actually, over the course of two years, when we get, you know, two years' time, we see the top two go through to the final. That may well be the case. You, you, look, you might look back at the flaws. And that's what Faf Duplessis was talking about the other day. You know, well, let's play one. Let's see where the flaws are. Let's change it. But he also said, and it's, it's a good point, that the third Test match now in... India, they've, they've, they're two 0 down. They've lost the series, but the third Test match is a live game because they're they're battling for Test Championship points, and India will see that as well. You know, in in the past, tendency to bring in one or two players and and, and give them a go. No, you're going for t- Test match points now. You know, it's you have to be ruthless and play to win and try and get as, as many points and and up the table as as much as possible. So. I think the, the, one of the problems is it's early days mm. and everyone's playing different length of series at the moment. But just give it, I think, give it time. It's, it's very easy to just write something off. One thing Coley did say, which I thought was interesting, it was he said, if you win away from home, could you be given more points for winning away from home? And that actually might be an incentive uh, to, to look at in the future. And you talk about Duplessis saying, you know, let's have a look and see where we are, and then you might want to adjust it. What do you think about that? Points for for winning away? Yeah, why not? It's a good challenge, isn't it? To reward a team for performing out of their comfort zone. So I don't know how you'd gauge that, how you'd measure it, an extra 10 points or something. But as long as, I suppose, each team plays the same number of games away as they do at home... I certainly think that it's... Well, well, that's the plan, isn't it? To play three series at home and, and three series away. So, but, but you're right, you might, you might end up playing... Yeah, you might end up playing the same number of series away from home as, as at home, but you might not be playing the same number of test yeah, matches, right. for example, you know, the Ashes, which is a five-match series. Yeah. Certainly in India, it's very difficult to win if you're the away team, isn't it? They, 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 uh, they just are so dominant in their home environment. And actually... Some of these test matches in India are quite dull because if you win the toss and bat first, you, you, well, especially if you're India, you, it, it, there's, there's no holding them back, is there? It's, it, they become a bit, a bit predictable. Well, India are really difficult to beat in India full stop, whether they bat first or they bat second. That, and that's the point, is it probably you feel it as an away side if you, you've got to bat first to, to give yourself a chance of winning. But that doesn't... That doesn't guarantee anything. England played a series out there where they got absolutely flattened last time. They batted first uh, a few times and they, they made decent scores in some of the games, but they still got flattened. I mean, they, I think in, people saying, oh, you know, India already way clear, you know, 200 points, four matches. But the reason is they're a good side. That, that's, that's the bottom line, especially at home. They're formidable at home. They've just won their 
11th consecutive series in a row, which goes past Australia. So that just shows you how good they are. And it's all very well to say, oh, you know, if they bat first, they, they win the game. Yeah, they're, they're really good. They, they, I don't think they, it harms them that much. They bat first or bat second in their home conditions. I think they're confident of winning batting second as well. You get 400, they'll get 600. And then suddenly you're 200 behind, you know, on first innings. And you're, you're batting to save the game in the third innings rather than the fourth innings. But I, mean, I think one of the remarkable things is about the first test match in particular was that South Africa batted really well, ultimately. They got well over 400, but that did not protect them from you know, what was ultimately a, a convincing defeat. I saw Neil Manthorpe put out a very prescient tweet. He said, he said South Africa batted superbly in their first innings, but they could still easily lose this game by lunch on the fifth day. And he was talking about this on the fourth day. You know, that, that's what India do. When you get down to those last couple of days, the game just accelerates and the pressure builds. And they are a really difficult side to contend with, and we talk, talk about Chris Silver talking about the Ashes next time. You know, their, England sort of, you know, their their plan is to go to Australia and 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 win the Ashes. You know, do something they haven't done for, since 2010, 11. Uh, they are in for a, the year before that. They are in for a formidable examination in India. But they will learn from the the way that India apply themselves, and I'd say that's true particularly with the bat. And look at the way that uh, Agarwal has come into the yeah. side now and, and made a lot of runs. And he was the guy that came in towards the end of the series last year in Australia and played really well. And the way that the Indians applied themselves in Australia, notably Chateshwa Pajara, who was the star batsman for the first couple of tests at least, uh, it was just it was an immense performance by the Indians to win their first ever series in Australia created a great blueprint for other teams to do the same and I think that's what going back to Chris Silverwood he wasn't only talking about the the way that Australia bowled this summer with their relentlessness yeah. but the way that the Indians batted in Australia to win the to win that series a year ago Oh, it's so disappointing, isn't it? England have been so tremendously entertaining over the last, I don't know, four, five, six years because yeah. they've been so unpredictable because you just don't quite know what's going to happen. They're going back to boring, sit on the splice, chisel out 70 runs a session, stay in the game, five-day test matches. I, 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 don't think, I don't think we're going to see the likes of Ben Stokes and, uh, and Joss Butler uh, batting like that, but maybe, maybe the openers yeah. will. But I don't think that comes naturally to Joe Root. I, I think Joe Root's still going to be his fluent self, but but hopefully he'll have a bit more protection at the top of the order, go back to his number four spot, and he can play his, his natural game, which is which is a very attractive game. And uh, hopefully England can find some some form from that for that approach. Yeah, I mean, I was being slightly facetious there, but yeah, clearly England are going to try and dig in, aren't they, at the top of the order and really bat time and try and try and wear teams down. It looks like they're going to try and wear teams down with their batting. And their bowling—that seems—that seems to be their their future game plan. Mm. Yeah, and it, and it worked so well for Australia, didn't it? And I suppose it, it's easy to say we've got a bowl like Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins because they were so relentlessly consistent. Even when they bowled a bouncer, they then the next ball was on that sort of just back of the length, trying to hit the top of off stump. It, it, the, the the advantage that, that particularly Hazelwood has is he's tall, he's very tall, and he's worked on his fitness to maintain his speed. So while Jofra Archer is clearly a naturally accurate bowler with natural speed, there are the other bowlers who he'll probably be accompanied by haven't necessarily got that asset of either height or speed or both allied to accuracy. Uh, I, so it's, it's going to be something, I think, that Silverwood's going to have to work very hard on 
uh, to, to find more bowlers who can be as accurate as Hazelwood and Cummins, mm. but also very penetrative. Yeah. I just want to pick you up on something you said a bit earlier about test matches in India a bit boring. Surely, if test match cricket is there for five days and India get the job done well within those five days, what's wrong with that? Isn't it just a different type of cricket? It's not, you know, the ball nipping past the outside edge and batsman thinking, oh, there's going to be one with my name on it in a moment, I better clatter one to the boundary, because it's not that sort of cricket. But it's a, di it's a different sort of cricket, isn't it? I suppose, that why I say it can be a bit boring is that the Indians are such good players of ordinary spin and not many countries, apart from India, have got decent spinners. So, therefore, nothing much taxes them, their batsmen. And it, you feel on those pitches where there's nothing much for the seamers that if you don't have a decent spinner, that you're going to concede a lot of runs. So that's what I mean, is a little bit predictable. But there's a good challenge out yeah. there for countries to find some good spinners to give the Indians some trouble in their own environment. Absolutely. And also, as well, the Indian pace bowlers seem to be able to get life out of their own tracks. I know it helps if you've got 600 runs in the bank, because it just builds that pressure on the batsman, especially if you've been in the field for best part of two days as well, you know, heavy legs and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the Indian pace bowlers, you know, do pretty well in their own conditions as well. They've got a very good pace attack. I mean, they are such a formidable team at home. They are, well, they're, they're, the, they're the sort of Fort Knox, aren't they, of, of modern-day cricket in their own in their own ground and, that, and that's their challenge actually to be you know the, the, one of the, the sort of great sides we you know, have a, an Indian era which you talked about before yeah. is to be able to go and win away consistently yeah and they and they've, well they've won in Australia yeah. they and the West Indies which England couldn't do yeah the, England is their, their last frontier isn't it which they still haven't conquered uh, when do they do that? I think that'll be summer after next, actually. They're over in, in, in England. so And that's leading beautifully into the World Test Championship finals the year after. So, well, watch this space as far as India are concerned. They, they, they need to find a way of batting in England more effectively. But the way that, that someone like Agarwal is coming through with, with some of the others, Rohit Sharma, 200s in a Test match as well. I mean, he's got the game. Has he, you know, you wondered sometimes whether he had the mental approach for Test cricket to really get stuck in, but he's proved he has. So well done, India. 200 points, top of the Test Championship, looking good for them. Yeah. And obviously, uh, the other teams are going to have to, to up, their, up their game. Uh, England's Test, you know, performances over the last two or three years have been a little bit erratic. But I think they can get some some spirit, some hope from from uh, some people I met over the weekend in Grimsby. Uh, I was speaking at the Grimsby midweek cricket league dinner, and uh, the winners of one division of that were a team they call themselves the Corinthian Jedi. Uh, they're a bunch of forty and fifty year olds who have a, a Latin motto, which is uh, translated as "All the gear, no idea." They have no batting order. They have uh, whoever wants to bowl, bowls. And they came last successive seasons for about five in a row. But last season, they won. They won the tournament. So, you know, there's always the underdog opportunities there. And that's a, that's a great little story from a really thriving league in, in the north of, north of England. Did they appoint Chris Silverwood as their coach to sort it all out and give them a, a, you know, a clear plan? Well, they certainly wouldn't have had uh, anybody with a PowerPoint presentation, that's for sure. So what are we going to do next week? Well, uh, the interesting thing that's happening this week is the draft for the 100 on Sunday. 
So we'll be covering that in the next episode the day after. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.